his grace, right? Boy, wouldn't it be a shame, a shame if uh, we went through our whole life believing in Jesus and believing in who he was and believing in the resurrection and all this stuff and never got grace, never understood what it's about. That's why we're teaching this uh, series on grace. It's called Amazing Grace. It's week three, okay? Uh, if you need a handout or a book, if you're new to the church and uh, you need a three-ring binder, they're over there. There's handouts over there. There's all kinds of other stuff over there. Michelle's over there. I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> it's, it's, uh, that's all free. That's all for you. We want you to take good notes on this so that it's always forever at the front of your frontal lobe, right? So you remember how important grace is because once you get how important grace is, it's easier to have grace for people when you realize how much grace God has for you. Amen, somebody. Before we get going quickly, I want to remind you, um, in your worship guide should be a, a, a calendar-type looking paper. Uh, Friday Night Live is this Friday with our students. If you have a teenager, uh, they'll be here from 6 to 7.30-ish uh, over here in Classroom A. It's just a, a teenage gathering that um, hopefully somebody brings some deodorant and everything will be great. Right, so <laughs> 6 to 7.30 going on over there. And then Saturday morning, fellas, men, men's breakfast has happened over at the BBD, the Black Bear Diner, not the bigger, better deal, <laughs> right? And that's 9 till whenever we have to leave. So um, I want to encourage you to come to that. We just uh, It's just guy time, just hang out, talk a little bit. Um, uh, I'll share just something short and brief, but... Uh, Mostly it's about making relationships with men. Uh, it seems like men in the church is like a fallacy or something. It's like nobody really is a part of the deal. There's a handful of guys who are leaders and all the rest are like, oh, uh, yeah, you know, so whatever. We'll leave that alone. Uh, Saturday morning, 9 a.m., all right? Amen. Everybody good? Everybody comfortable? All right. Look at the clock so I know when to stop tomorrow afternoon. We'll be good. Uh, the fast is in day 19, for those of you who are fasting with us. Uh, we got three days left in this fast. Um, how many of you know God can do some miraculous things in three days, right? Like raise a person from the dead, open a sea, bring bones together. Anybody want to help? Never mind. All right. Okay, so today we're going to call this week three, we're going to call it Amazing Immutability, which immutability uh, is, is kind of a fun word. It's not a word you use every day. It's not a word that you probably used this week. Like that was the most immutable meeting I was ever in, right? It was like probably not. And, and to explain things, you got to think about immutability and what it means. And if you take the root word, is mutant, right? Now, if you follow Marvel and the X-Men, right, they're mutants or... Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is my favorite, right? Bunch of turtles who mutated into ninjas. That's fun. And, and, and what happened, what that word means is changed. They changed or, you know, like Wolverine's my favorite. You know, he was, he was, was probably a normal guy and then he changed and it had all these superpowers. So if what immutability means with the I am in the front means not changeable. Not, not changeable, the unchangeableness of God. It's impossible for God to change. 
Okay, now if we're going to understand grace, we need to understand how God can never change and he can never lie. Okay, we're going to look at this in scripture. Now, some theology for the unchangeableness of God, just so you know. In, in Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie. God can't, can't like pull a fast one on you, right? He can't lie. Nor is he a son of man that he should repent. Another one, 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 29. This one, I, I always get a qu this question, right? It's just like, well, if God doesn't change, how come Saul was taken out of the kingship of Israel? God changed his mind. I'm like, uh, no, Saul was disobedient to what God commanded him to do and was removed. And God had a BBD to put in there, a bigger, better David, <laughs> to put in there to really help Israel become what God's plan was for them. There's a whole series right there in that scripture. And in, in 1 Samuel 15, verse 29, he says, and also the strength. Notice strength is capitalized, of Israel will not lie or relent. He's not going to stop. Notice the S is, in, is strength is capitalized. That's a reference, direct reference to God, right? Because it says right here in the second half, he says, for he, the strength is not a man that he should relent. And that's because Saul was disobedient. God he didn't lie about making Saul king. He had to take him out because of his disobedience. Happens all the time, right? Malachi 3.6, for I am the Lord. This is pretty blunt. I do not change, right? Old Testament, Malachi, Titus chapter 1, verse 2, he says, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised began, uh, before time began. So get this in your heart today, that God cannot change, and God cannot lie. And we're going to base this whole grace message today, the immutability of God, on those scriptures and a bunch others. Now, if you brought a Bible, or if you brought a phone or something, turn to Hebrews chapter 6, and we're going we're gonna to look through Hebrews. If you're going to study grace at all, you've got to understand chapter 6 through chapter 10 of Hebrews, because Hebrews is imperative. To get Hebrews and Romans both together define grace. Now, in your um, handout there, we've got a couple different definitions of what grace, grace does. It divinely enables us to live a new life in God. That's what grace does, right? We're going to get to that in this series. And then it's what grace is, which we've been talking about in the first three weeks. It's the unmerited, undeserved, unearned kindness and favor of God. It's important to understand those words. In week one, I want to encourage you, you can go back to the website and listen to those. I don't know if the handouts are still there, but you can listen to, because we define those terms, unmerited, undeserved, and unearned, unearned kindness in favor of God. We define that in week one. And last week, we talked about how God showed up out of the blue to a dude named Abraham in the Old Testament, early in Genesis. This is like... Uh, way before the timeline of Israel began. There wasn't even Israel yet. Israel was Abraham's grandson, right? And then the 12 tribes were part of that group. So this is way before that happened. God just showed up to Abraham, right? And, and we're going to pick up the story right there in, in Hebrews chapter 6. But first of all, we need a little background on Hebrews. 
There is a major discussion about who wrote Hebrews. Nobody knows, right? But Hebrews was written to Hebrews and was quite clear about defining to the Hebrews that if they don't quit acting like Hebrews, they're always going to be Hebrews, right? Because the new covenant came and changed things, and the Hebrews who were uh, defined by the law, by the Mosaic covenant, never really could get it. Now, the writer of Hebrews is a mystery, right? I could say who I believe it was, but nobody really knows. And you may get to heaven someday, and somebody's going to elbow you and go, see that guy over there? That's the guy who wrote Hebrews. And you're going to go, really? Who is he? And he's like, God won't tell anybody who he is, but that's the guy who wrote <laughs> Hebrews, right? So it was obviously somebody who was based in the law, and the book was written to people who knew the law, had the foundation of the law, okay? And, it, and the, the law was already there. Now, Gentiles like me, I don't, I don't get it. I wasn't brought up in that. I don't understand the law and how it works. And, and if we start here in chapter 6, there are six doctrines that go through chapter 6 through chapter 10 that we pick up on. We're gonna that'll give you how to live a spirit-filled life in grace, but we're going to focus on the two that we're talking about, the, um, the unchangeableness of God and, and that he can't lie, all right? So in chapter 6, verse 13, we're going to start right there, and this is exactly where we left off last week. If you were listening, if you listened to the message, we were talking about Abraham, okay? For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, right? We'll talk about more of that in a minute, saying... Surely, this is a direct quote from Genesis chapter 22. Surely, blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. Remember, God just showed up out of the blue to Abraham and said, Hey, I'm, I'm not here to kill you. I'm not here to bring judgment on you. In chapter 22 of Genesis, he says, I am here to bless you. Right? Amen, Pastor. That's good. That's good. That's me. I, wa I want that. And so, uh, get uh, chapter, verse, come on, Rashid, verse 15. This is important. Now, catch this. There's a, there's a phrase right here. He says, and so, after he had, catch this, patiently endured, he obtained the promise. I, if I was, had my Bible, like right here, I would circle those words, patiently endured, right? And you can do it on your handout, but listen to me. How many of us in the body of Christ struggle with the patient enduring part of life, right? Everybody's hands, two hands, a foot, uh, the puppy, everything, right? Uh, everybody struggles with patient endurance, okay? Uh, that he says, uh, verse 16, for men indeed swear by the greater and the oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of the promise, right? We'll talk more about that in a second. The immutability of his counsel conformed by an oath, confirmed by an oath, that by two immutable things, that immutability is, is literally the unchangeableness of God. Those two words right there, only time it's used in the whole Bible, right there, those two Greek words. Immutable things in which it is impossible. Say impossible. impossible. 
for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Somebody say, Jesus. He is the hope set before us, okay? Verse 19, this is, a, is probably one of the most important scriptures in the whole Bible, buried back here in chapter 6 of Hebrews. He says this, this hope, Jesus and his blood, right? We have as an anchor of the soul, say anchor, of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. Now, for this, whoever this writer is, is showing us by the Abrahamic covenant that we have access to the covenant of God through what Jesus did behind the veil. And because of those things, we have an anchor, right? How many of you have ever seen like a big ship and the anchor, like on a cruise ship, right? That anchor is about the size of this building. And it can hold that giant ship steady in a storm. Anybody in this room been through a storm, right? And, and you're just, I don't know what to do. I'm going to die. God, you got to help me. What's your anchor? What Your mind, your will, and your emotions, that's your soul. And I say it all the time. That's where the problem is. Because your mind runs off about how bad it's going to be and your soul and your emotions get involved and all this thing. God is telling us, whoever the writer is, is telling us the anchor that you need to stay strong in the storm is what Jesus did. And that's what we're going to look at today. And on top of what Jesus did and the anchor that holds our soul strong, God can't lie about it. He can't just make it up. And he can't change the rules. There's nothing worse than playing a game and, and struggling to function in this game when somebody is changing the rules all the time, right? Or you, you, I don't know. I've played sports for a long time. And when you get a bad ref who can't see anything, ugh, you want to you wanna just kill him, you know, in Jesus' name, of course, but... It's hard, right? You got an umpire who can't see. You got a referee who's, who's like on another planet. And what's happening? They're changing the rules. Or they're not following the rules. God can never, ever do that. Now, God's making an oath, right? If we backtrack, God's making an oath. Everybody see in, in, in like you go to court, right? Right? I swear, tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me. Well, God's telling us in this scriptures also that he can't swear on anybody because there is no one greater. We swear on the Bible and God because he is greater. While there is no one greater than God, he is swearing on his own name that he cannot change, he cannot lie, and, and there is nothing that is going to change. Now, a big deal happened when Jesus came. The covenant changed, right? It's, well, it didn't change. It switched. And, and it says here, we'll read in a minute, that things got better. Okay? Now, I'm going to read Hebrews 6.17 again, but I'm going to read it from the American Standard Version. And I want to point to something. He says, in the same way, God 
desiring even more to show the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath. Who are the heirs to the promise? Right? Oh, I want to show you this because, because a lot of times people will say, I'll ask people, I'll say, um, you know, because the Bible says the new covenant is a better covenant based on better promises. We'll read that scripture in a second. But who's that for? Who are the heirs to the promise? Well, in Galatians chapter 3, in verse 23, listen to what Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, right? He says this. In verse 23, he says, now listen, listen carefully, okay? He says, but before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. We were, I'm going to talk about this next week. Here's a little sneak peek, right? This is the trailer. Uh, next week is amazing law. We're going to explain what the law was for, right? Because a lot of people, when they start talking about grace, it's like, oh, the law doesn't matter. We can live any way we want. God's got grace. It's like, mm, eh, sorry, no. That's not the way it rolls, okay? So he's saying, before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for faith, which would afterward be revealed, okay? Afterward. Therefore, the law was our tutor, okay? That word tutor in the Greek is uh, reference to a household, the guardian responsible for the care and discipline of the children, important right so the law was our trainer we'll talk more about this next week to bring us to christ that we might be justified by faith but after faith has come we are no longer under the tutor okay stay with me for you are called you are all sons of god through faith in jesus christ for as many of you as we're baptized into Christ, okay, this is not water baptism. There's three kinds of baptism. There's water baptism, there's baptism in the spirit, and there's baptism into the church when you're saved, right? That's what he's talking about, baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ, right? Look at your neighbor and say, you are number one. Right? We're all the same. Right? Doesn't matter. This is opening the door to the Gentiles, by the way, because remember, Jewish culture is closed. It's a closed culture. I was watching some video yesterday of, uh, of a rabbi who was explaining why Jesus wasn't the Messiah. I wasn't getting it, but he was explaining it and why the, he, the uh, Orthodox Jews are still waiting for the Messiah. And uh, we're going to talk about the high priest in a minute and how the, uh, the temple is destroyed, right, 70 A.D. by the Romans. So since then, there is no high priest. So they was, he was talking about how they're going to revamp all that together when, when the Messiah comes. And I was thinking, okay, I guess, you know, you were brought up in that. That's okay. Whatever works. He says uh, here, verse 29, catch this. He says, and if you are Christ, anybody Christ in here, anybody belong to Jesus? Right? Okay? Then you are Abraham's seed, exactly what he's talking about. You're a part of the deal if you belong to Jesus. And heirs according to the promise. The promise. I would circle that word promise because 
if you were a student of the word and, and you were sitting in this room and you were going, what's the promise? Thank you for asking. I'm so glad you asked because over in, uh, in, in Hebrew, back to Hebrews chapter 6, we're going to define what the promise is. Because there is nothing more important if we're going to understand grace than the promise. Because it's like, oh, eternal life. Well, that's great. I share all the time. When I got saved, you know, 20 whatever years ago, I, I was like, eternal life? I know I, there's got to be more to this than eternal life. It's great. I'm 30 years old. I don't plan on going to heaven anytime soon. There has to be more to the promise than eternal life. And there is. So let's talk about two things that can't change. In Hebrews chapter 6 through 10, uh, God can't change and he can't lie. But the number one thing on your handout there is that Jesus is our high priest forever. Say forever. Jesus is our high priest forever. Now the high priest, he's a pretty serious dude. Okay? There he was. They, they don't have one right now. And look on, and back to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 20. He said, um, let's go back to verse 19. We'll read them together. He says, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, that's Jesus' blood, were uh, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil, where, in verse 20, the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become high priest, capital letters, notice the capital letters, forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek was an Old Testament king and priest, at the same time. That never happened. And he was never born and he never died. Nobody knows who he is. He's mentioned three, four times in the whole word of God and here in Hebrews and way back in Genesis. Abraham honored him, going back to the honoring him, by paying him tithes. So that means he must have been somebody, okay, for Abraham to do that. And then Jesus is a type of, of high priest and a type of Melchizedek in the word because he is king and priest together. Okay, there was either a king and a high priest or a high priest and a king. They were never the same person. Okay, but here we see Jesus being both. Now, there's, there's, it's important. Now, a priest, defining who a priest is, a priest is someone who represents the people before God and atone for the sins of the people. In Jewish culture... He's called a Kohen Gadol. Probably not saying that right. But the, he was the high priest. Aaron, when they went into the promised land, was the first one. And there was always a high priest all the way through Israel's history until the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. Hundreds of high priests through that whole uh, generation, generation, generation. The high priest was responsible for... Um, to oversee temple service and act as spiritual leader to the people. He was the holiest person in all of Israel, okay? And he was, uh, he was the whole, held the holiest position in all of Judaism, and it extended through history. His most prominent responsibility was entering the Holy of Holies, okay? And... and uh, 
making the blood sacrifice, right? Bringing the blood into the holy holy. So let me read this again, verse 20, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever in the, accord, in the order of Melchizedek. You understand what's happening here. When Jesus died, was risen, he entered the holy of holies with his blood and made sacrifice for us. Okay? In the, in, then they, they compare him to uh, Melchizedek. And over in verse 17 in chapter 7, uh, this is a direct quote from Psalm 110, verse 4. He says, For you are high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Okay? He was superior. He was Christ. He was God and king together, king and priest together at the same time. Kind of a big deal. In, uh, in chapter 7, again, verse 23, explaining this, he says, There were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. Again, from Aaron all the way through, they died. They kicked the bucket. Then they had to bring in a new one. And it was funny, I was kind of reading up about the high priest, and if the high priest wasn't holy enough to go into the Holy of Holies, God you know, was so holy in there, they would just drop dead. They would tie a rope around their leg and drag them back out and then get the next guy in line. It's like, where were you last night? Guess what your job is today? You're going to go in there where the presence of God is and hope you make it. <laughs> Have a good service. And he says, um, they were prevented by death from continuing, but he, capital H, speaking of Jesus, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable, there's that word again, only time this word's used in all of the Bible, priesthood. Jesus is unchangeable. He cannot lie. We see immutable used twice in the word. This word unchangeable used once. Do you think that these power words are trying to tell us something? Do you think he might be just whispering in our ear, you got to trust me. It's okay. I got your back. I'm not going to pull the rug out from under you. Like, I don't know, some people might. And the thing about Jesus is that he's never going to die. He is our, our high priest forever. He cannot change, and he cannot lie. Now look at Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to really put some screws in this piece of wood because this is exciting for me because I, I need to know. I grew up without parents. I grew up on my own, and I got taken advantage of by everybody. And it's like I would get blown off and I would get pushed aside. And you're too old, you're too fat, you're too short. Why can't you be more like your brother? All of it, I heard. So when I, well, I had serious trust issues when I first got saved. <laughs> Ask people, I still might. I don't know. But I trust the Lord, right? I can trust God on any level, pretty much, right? We're, we're working on a worship leader right now. We're trying to find somebody. I can believe God that somebody is going to come. Right, and, and we're doing our due diligence to do it, but I can trust God that somebody's going to show up and say, hey, I heard you were looking for a worship leader. Uh, I can do that job. Because God said so. Are you going to supply our need or not? Angie's doing a phenomenal job. So is Rob, so is Tony. They're doing a phenomenal job. Right? But God's going to take us someplace. He's got to be on the bus to go someplace, right? So look at Hebrews chapter 10. And verse 11, right? This is, this is some of my favorite uh, theological scriptures in all of the Bible. 
okay? This is our theology. This is the wheelhouse for, for us who love the word. I'm going to read this real slow, and I'm going to ask you some questions, okay? And then we'll read it again. He says, and every, how many? Every priest stands, stands or sits? Stands ministering daily, daily or just once a week? Daily and offering, how often? Repeatedly, the same sacrifices which can, say it with me, never take away sins. This is direct talking about the old covenant, right? Every year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement and offer the blood. And that's atonement, right? It's, it's, here's our sin right here, okay? This is atonement right here. This is what happens. Whoops, okay? It's covered, but it's still there. You see it? Even though our, our sin is sin, it's just covered by, by atoning for that sin. And they used animal sacrifice and blood because the animals were innocent and they had to be perfect and had all these rules. But they could only cover their sin with the Day of Atonement in the Old Covenant, right? The Old Testament, the Old Covenant, right? So now look at what he says in verse 12. This is, this, the, okay, get ready. This is going to be so exciting. He says this, verse 12. But this man, with a capital M, man, <laughs> Jesus he's talking about, after he had offered one sacrifice, say one sacrifice, for sins forever. Let me just point out a few words. Man, with a capital M, Jesus. Okay? Forever. That's, is that just like today because I came to church, now my sins are forgiven and I'm okay? Right? One. Jesus made one sacrifice. Get this, church. One. You don't have to, like, worry about your sin if you're in the family of God because he made one. He's never going back to the cross. He's not going to do it again. And I catch so much crap over this. Oh, we got to repent. We got to this. We got to that. You go ahead and do your thing. But I'm going to stick to this man after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever. Forever is a long stinking time. That's how long Michelle spends in the bathroom. Forever. <laughs> this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down. He sat down at the right hand of God. You know what happens in Jewish culture when the father sits down? The, the, everything's over. It's done. We can clean up and go home. He sat down because it was finished. If we're going to walk in grace the way God designed us to walk in grace, understand this man, one sacrifice forever. Jesus isn't going back to the cross to be crucified for your sin again. And yet, Christians feel like 
they have to pay for their sins over and over and over. Now, I'm not saying that you, there isn't, you know, issues that arise from the stupid things you do. Right? There's, I mean, there's always going to be stuff that happens because you've made a mistake. You maybe, you know, outside of marriage, now you got a baby. You know, drink and drive, go to prison. It's just the way it is. It's natural history. But in the spiritual realm with God, there is freedom, right? You can be saved and set free. And, and it's crazy. He isn't going to the cross again. Now, is Jesus your high priest making sacrifice? When, when you read your Bible every day, you pray, you fast, you, you do everything that's good, you're, you're the perfect model Christian, right? Jesus is your high priest. What about days when you yell at your wife, you mistreat your children, you punch your boss in the face, right? You, you <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Repent now, for the end is near. What happens? Is Jesus your, still your high priest? On those days. Well, why don't we act like that? Why don't we just, Jesus, you're my Lord, even though I'm, uh, you know, babe, I apologize. I'm sorry. You don't spend all day in the bathroom or forever, right? Why can't, why can't we understand that we are forgiven, we are set free, and it's going to be okay? Because God made it that way, right? Number two thing. That's never going to change, right? And that's Jesus is our mediator of the new covenant forever. I love that word forever when we're talking about the Bible, right? And, and let me explain media, uh, mediator, one who goes between two groups or persons to help them work out their differences. Jesus is our middleman. That's who we go to. When we pray, that's why we pray in Jesus' name, okay? Are you with me? Now, Jesus is one mediator between God and man. Being fully God, he can represent God. Being fully man, he can represent man to God, right? That's how he can mediate the differences between us, all right? Now, Hebrews 8, 6 explains what, or we're going to explain what Jesus mediates, Okay, so in Hebrews 8, 6, he says, now, but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry in as much as he is also mediator of, a, say it with me, better covenant, which was established on better promises. All right, here's the big thing, right? Here's, here's another question I ask, I ask people about this. I say this all the time. I say, do you think... The new covenant is better than the old covenant. And everybody says, yes. And then I'll say, why? And they're like, well, perfect sacrifice, Jesus. Okay, let's figure this out because much like the video we watched, there's, there's more to it, okay? A lot of people on this planet, even Christians and churches all over the world trying to earn the favor of God that we just prove you can't, right? People are earning the favor of God, and they can't figure out why. But here's 
why the new better covenant is better than the old covenant because the new covenant can cleanse your sin, okay, instead of just cover it, right? Like I covered the microphone with paper, that's atonement. Jesus, because of his perfect, perfect, perfect sacrifice behind the veil with his own blood, removes the sin, including your conscience. So here we go. Get ready. You write down some cool stuff. Hebrews 9, 9, okay? It says this. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him perform, who, make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. It cannot clean your conscience. In the Old Covenant, your conscience, which is the part of you that I got a definition right someplace on here. It says it's an inner feeling or voice viewed as acting as a guide to right and wrong behavior. It's what makes you think you have to bring flowers to your wife because you made fun of her being in the bathroom all day. That's your conscience, right? And, and what happens is, is we mess up with God. We yell at our kids or our wife or whatever, and what happens is now we think we got to go serve somebody or we got to go give extra money or we got to go to early to church to set up because we got to repay God for his grace. And, and right here, clearly, it's saying you're never going to get perfect in your conscience, right? But look at Hebrews 9 and chapter or verse 13. If I could turn this page. Okay, get ready because he goes back to the Old Covenant and he says, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purity, purifying of the flesh, look at this. Look, some of my favorite Bible words right here. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. What is a dead work? Thanks for asking. I'm glad you asked. Dead works are any work not initiated by God or trying to do a work to earn the favor of God. That's a dead work. It's not, you don't have to do those things. Am I saying that you don't, you can just run around being a dingbat your whole life and not have to do anything good? Heck no. Heck no. Because we said last week that we, uh, in Ephesians uh, someplace that we are saved unto Jesus for good works. Because of what Jesus did, that's why we do good works, okay? Now, the real kicker right here is in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 and 2, all right? Listen to this going forward, talking about a clean conscience. For the law having a shadow of the good things to come, and the very image of the things can never, say never. Remember, we're talking about the Old Covenant. We're talking about the law. Can never. That word never in the Greek is passive. There's present, past, and passive. That means that it will never happen again, okay? Never with the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year Make those who approach perfect. 
So in the Old Covenant, when they killed the bulls and killed the goats and came with the heifers and the ashes and the me- can you imagine the smell, right? Smell like a teenage youth band. <laughs> so th- all of that stuff will never make anybody perfect. It's never going to make you anything but feel bad because you, you'll just never be enough. Look what he says then. For then they would not have ceased to be offered, right? Why would they stop? For the worshipers once, here it is again, once purified would have had no more consciousness of sin. So that part of you, listen, listen, that part of you that thinks, I messed up. I could never go back to that church again. I could never go back to church again. Or that church won't have me. Or this or that or the other thing. I've, I've let you down, God. You've never, you were never holding God up. And there isn't anything that you can do that Jesus cannot take care of. The problem we have is right here between your earballs. Getting your mind renewed, according to Romans chapter 12, to what Jesus has done. Right? It, it's imperative. We, we aren't, don't get hung up on the perfect that they're talking about there. Because we're not perfect standing, you know, we're not perfect in, in, in behavior. We're perfect in position. Your position that we're talking about today in Christ being forgiven cannot change. He cannot lie about it. And we cannot be moved out of that position. That's where we are, right? Grace, grace makes us perfect in our conscience. So we're not doing these dead works. The works we are doing are living because God is clearly communicating with our conscience, telling us, bless that person. Talk to that person about Jesus. Go bless this person. Pay their rent. Do this. Buy them a car. Do whatever. Right? That's when we're learning and hearing. I was listening to an interview with a pastor the other day, and he said, I don't think the church is sin conscious enough. And I was thinking, church do you go to i think i think that the church isn't grace conscious enough to where we focus and we try to do this but you know what i'm just a person we try to focus on the good things that jesus did and not bring up oh you got to do this and you got to do that and you got to be better and you should do this and you should give and you should blah 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 let me give you an illustration there was a guy having a party for his children Okay, And all the kids showed up, and he pulled them all around, and he said, okay, listen, kids, I want to tell you something. And he looked at them all, and he said, you can come in. I want you to eat all the ice cream you want, have all the cake you want, eat all the candy you want, sugar up until you're a diabetic. I don't care. You can swim in the pool. You can bounce on the trampoline. You can run around and do everything that you want to do. Whatever you want to do, just have a great time. But then he said, none of you are allowed. Do not spit in this flower bed. You can swim, trampoline, bounce, ride bikes, ride motorcycles, ride go-karts. I don't care. You can have all the fun you want to do. Just do not spit in this flower bed. And he told them that and sent them on their way, and he went upstairs and hid behind the curtain and watched what happened. Do you know 
every one of those children spit in that flower bed, including his own kids who were in on it, spit in that flower bed. Why? I believe because they were told they weren't supposed to. So if we sit and we're going to pretend to have amazing grace and then be told about everything that we do wrong and we focus on those things that are wrong, what happens? Is the goodness of God going to flow through your life at all? I don't think so. We always, as people, tend to focus on the negative. So here's what we should do, just a thought. Maybe if we focused on the good things that Jesus did and the healings and the empowerments and the blessings and those things, instead of focusing on what we shouldn't do, how many of us are going to be able to walk in grace the way God wanted us to, to live, right? It's a conscience. Your conscience will rule your life. Whether you've messed up your whole life and been told you can't or you've had a pretty blessed life, your conscience is going to lead you. But know this. Your conscience is clear. You just need to get your mind around it. So in the Old Covenant, we see God, right, shows up to Abraham, and he tells him, you know, I will be your God, and you will be my people. I think I studied that out one time at college. It's like 30, 35 times in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, God tells Israel, I will be your God, and you will be my people, right? Then he says, he says, I will bless you. I will protect you. We see that all through the old, you know, you read Judges and 1st, 2nd Samuel and 1st, 2nd Kings and all that. You see Israel being protected by God. All, I will protect you. I will care for you. I will provide for you. He tells them all these things. And then he tells them, he tells Moses, he says, all you have to do is keep the law. And what I think happens is the church, even this side of the cross, the church is like, stops right there. We have to keep the law. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill. Man, God, there's a lot of people I would like to, you know. But here, here's what happens. Those Ten Commandments, which the, the, the Pharisees blew up into like over 600, we get stuck there. And it's just like. I can't do that. I can't do this. And I'm not saying you have license to do anything. But I'm saying we get stuck in sin consciousness because we're stuck in the old covenant. Then God shows up on this side of the cross after everything we're talking about today. And God says, I will protect you. I will provide for you. I will bless you. I will take care of everything you need under my terms. And that's all you have to do is believe. Let me tell you something. 20, 22 years ago, 25 years ago, I was at a men's retreat that I wasn't, I shouldn't even been there because you had to be saved to go. And trust me, I was not saved. Far from it. I actually had some issues with God because uh, I came up Catholic and was mistreated in the church. Not, I mean to say denominational church because people trip, 
but you know um we had i i i really thought god was just a a, a mean guy in the sky who every time he did something wrong he crucified you for it you know you miss you're sick cuz this and you're this cuz of this and you know i had some serious issues about that but i went to this retreat and i wasn't even supposed to be there and it was a 3 day long thing and all day long on all 3 of these days i was getting the love of god was just And I didn't want to be there. And, I, you know, I was kind of really had some attitude issues when I was younger. <laughs> and I would really let people know when I was unhappy. That's the whining part, right? And, and you know, I was like, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm leaving. I'm not hanging around for this. This is crazy. You cannot make me stay here. And, and everybody was real cool at the thing. They were like, yeah, you don't have to stay here. In fact, might be to leave. <laughs> but I never did. And I stayed there and. I made it through the first night, and then I made it through the second night, and by the third day, this was starting to get in because it was love. It was just nonstop. Every there was like fifteen different talks by different guys, and and here's the thing: I'm looking at people who are just like me, act just like me, they talk just like me, but they love Jesus, and I'm like. Jesus, man, he's he's mean. He's he's gonna get you if you mess up. And they're like, that's not it. You are missing it, missing it by miles. It's not about that. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants to protect you. He wants to take you know take care of you, take care of your family, take care of your children, and do all of those things. He wants to. One of them, a uh, Jewish guy, he said this. He said he wants to enter into covenant with you. And I'm like, whoa, covenant, wait a minute. You break a covenant, it's like a marriage covenant. You break a covenant, somebody's got to die. I knew that much just from catechism, right, because that's how a lot of people die. And I'm like, I don't know about that. I'm like, Can I tell you something? Can I just be vulnerable for a second? I got, I got into that thing by, by the end of that thing, allowing people to love me. I ended up at the end of the retreat, face down in a janitorial closet, crying like a baby. I had never cried in my life before that. Not even at my parents' funerals. It was like, yeah, whatever, you know. Never cried, and I can't stop after that moment. Face down in a janitorial closet. That's when I entered into the new covenant with my God. And how'd that happen? I just believed. I just said, yes, Jesus. I don't want to do it anymore. I can't. I just can't do it. And you know what? From that day on, everything has changed. Everything. I, I am convinced if that didn't happen, I wouldn't be married. I wouldn't be standing here. I can tell you that. Probably would be imprisoned or dead or worse. Because that day, when I entered into this covenant, this new covenant with God, 
everything changed. And from that point forward, the works that I was doing were the works of God. I was I changed, guys. I'm telling you. I, I would fight. Uh, I mean, I don't I wasn't even a big chirper back and forth, but it was like, what, you want to go? We're going. And it wasn't talking or arguing. It was just, you know, I was a fighter. I was mean. I was vicious with my words. I was a drinker and a womanizer and all these things that God, because of this covenant, because of what we're talking about today, he didn't cover them. He didn't, you know, atone for those sins. He cleaned them away. They're gone. I cannot be judged for what I've done. Because Jesus, in the scripture we read, one man forever made one sacrifice forever. It's done. Let's all stand together. And because of the new covenant, God can't lie. He can't change. He's my high priest forever. And he's a mediator between me and God. I am safe because of the new covenant. And it was all because I finally just said, yeah, Lord, I can't do this. I can't do this. And it was, it was messy and it was ugly. But let me tell you something. You're in this place today, and God's in this place today. And I want to give you an opportunity to join into this new covenant with God. And that's all you have to do is say, Lord, I believe. I believe. And if that's you, anybody, anywhere, just anytime, just stick your hand up high so we can just say, just say, Lord, I believe today. I'm done trying to do this myself. I am done trying to, to save myself. I just want to believe. I want to be a part of the new covenant. And we're going to talk moving forward about that covenant and what it does. You know, we're talking about what grace is. Moving forward, we're going to talk about what grace does. Because it empowers you to live a life that you can't even imagine. And that's the part when I started way back going, there's got to be more to this than this. That's the part. That's the good part. And that's the part that pushes you to do good works. And that's the part that pushes you over the top to love your wife unconditionally, to love your boss unconditionally, to love your family unconditionally, and do good works. So bow your heads, close your eyes. Just before we go today. I want to give you that chance. You can do it, man. You can get in the family. It's, it's just, just stick your hand up high so I can see it. I see your hand. You want to get into this family and, and be a part of the new covenant. God's just asking you to believe we can help you. We can help you do that. We can teach you. I mean, between the, the groups we have and the things we do, we will teach you to grow into this thing and how to believe God. Let us pastor you. Let us pastor you and disciple you and grow into this thing. I see your hands. You can put your hands down.
So let's pray this prayer together. Say, Heavenly Father, I give you my heart. We enter into the new covenant. I believe you, Jesus. You took my sin. You cleaned my conscience. I can now do good works because I love you. I give you my life in Jesus' name. It's good stuff right there. So I got one more invitation just before we go. We're going to have a, a worship song, one last worship song before we go. If you have something on your heart today, if you have something that if you want to pray about, you want to enter into agreement with our prayer people, uh, just step out and be bold, and, and we'll add our faith to yours. It's not scary. It's not weird. It's not crazy. And, and, uh, people are going to be worshiping, and hopefully with their eyes closed, and nobody's going to know that you're even going anywhere. So if you want to pray today, Joni's in the back, Paulie's here, Dominic's here. Just while this song's playing, just step out and come in and pray. Right? Get it out of your heart. Clear your heart out. You can do it. Let's worship God together.